0: Welcome to Homeschooling Co-op Style, a weekly podcast hosted by Pat Wesolowski. Pat began homeschooling her nine children more than 25 years ago. It didn't take her long to discover that co-ops were a perfect fit for her educational goals. Co-ops allowed her family to study together with other families, creating a safe and friendly environment that was conducive to honing public speaking skills, sharing responsibilities with other parents, lessen the stress and the workload. After years of organizing and orchestrating a variety of co-ops, Pat is here to encourage, teach, and promote homeschooling co-op style.
1: Hi, and welcome to the Homeschooling Co-op Style Show. Today I'm excited about my guest I'll be interviewing. Her name's Carol Topp, and she's also a show host on the Ultimate Radio Network. She has a show called Dollars and Cents, and I recently learned she also has a book on co-oping. So it's nice to know there's other people out there as passionate about co-oping as I am.
0: Welcome to the show, Carol. Oh, hi, Pat. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, we, uh, we can talk for a long time about our experience with uh, co-ops, what we've learned over the years. I'm a, I'm a retired homeschool mom. I homeschooled for 14 years, but now my kids are both in college.
1: And yet you're still mentoring so many people into what it means to run businesses and be successful entrepreneurs and to co-op as well. So tell us about your co-oping adventures.
0: Yeah, well, I'm a a CPA, Certified Public Accountant, and like I said, a a retired homeschool mom. And so I wanted to kind of combine my accounting knowledge and what I knew about running a not-for-profit because I've been on the boards. Anytime you're a CPA, you're (laughs) automatically getting on the boards of some nonprofits, (laughs) including my church, and my homeschool experience. And so I put them together, and in 2006, I launched a website called Homeschool CPA. And that's to help homeschool leaders. And since uh, 2006, I've published uh, five, four or five, I lose count, books um, to help the homeschool leaders. And I have helped uh, approximately 50 organizations get tax exempt status with the IRS. And I've consulted with over 150. Um, leaders, you know they, they sometimes like to have phone consults or something. I, I don't even keep track of the emails that I answer. So yeah, my, I, I position myself to be kind of a person who's uniquely qualified to help homeschool leaders run kind of the, what we might call the back office or the, the back side, the hidden side of, of a homeschool co-op, kind of the business side of it.
1: So you must be talking about the more organized, larger type co-ops. One lady I interviewed was from a a large co-op in Jacksonville called The Vine, and it sounded as if it's probably run as a nonprofit. Is that what you're saying?
0: Yeah, certainly. Although, of course, my book, which is called Homeschool Co-ops, How to Start Them, Run Them, and Not Burn Out, um, addresses the very tiny co-ops, which can just be so small, five families that they meet in you know, someone's living room, and even those co-ops need a little bit of guidance and structure, like what is our purpose, sure. how are we going to add members, what are we going to do about the money, um, mm-hmm. because typically it takes a little bit of money to, to run even a tiny co-op, so I do address a lot of those things, and, of course, my website, homeschoolcpa.com, is full of information for co-ops at all different sizes, shapes.
1: When should a co-op consider becoming a nonprofit?
0: Yeah, that's a really good question because automatically they are nonprofits if the IRS says they are organized and operate like a nonprofit. Organized means that um, you, you don't have you ha- don't have just one person saying this is my group and I'm in charge. Meaning you have a leadership board or something like that. So that's how you're organized as a not-for-profit, and meaning also you you don't have a profit motive. This is not anybody's business. And then you operate like one, meaning, you know, you you have some guidelines. I like to call it uh, the three Bs a board budget and bylaws. So you look and act like a non-for-profit you are. Now, when do they need to approach the IRS and get tax-exempt status so they're not paying taxes on their collective money? That's a different question altogether. That threshold is roughly $5,000 before if if you're a really tiny group and you bring in less than five thousand dollars but the IRS calls it gross revenues, then the IRS says you can just call yourself a tax exempt or nonprofit without having to file any official paperwork with the IRS.
1: Right, well that's interesting and you
0: know we our co op
1: meets at a library and they let us meet there for free because we don't charge and and that technically yeah. would make us nonprofit, and actually haven't been part of a co-op that <laughs> ever created a profit, except in the Learning Adventure, and, and that's well worth it. But um, that's that's really interesting because the other gal I interviewed recently too, it was a huge co-op, so they I'm sure they were taking in more than five thousand dollars. So then you're you're going to have to be intentional about your organization, and do they incorporate? Do nonprofits incorporate? You can tell how ignorant yeah. I am.
0: <laughs> no, quite a, quite a, quite a few of them do, and there's no dollar threshold there. You can be pretty small and form a nonprofit corporation. You do this in your state level, and I'm going to recommend that folks go over to homeschoolcpa.com and go under something called Leader Tools. There's some articles there, and I I have about four or five very short articles about nonprofit corporation status. Again, that's at your state. That's not an IRS thing, and the advantages and disadvantages when you might want to do that, but. If you're going to do that, make sure you're uh, – that's kind of like officially birthing uh, a corporation. And right. there's some things you got to do right about it. And, you know, so, yeah. And typically those are the groups that, yeah, they're, they're, they're 20, 40, 50 families and up because they're starting to bring in money. They, they want some of the legal protections that nonprofit corporation status brings their leadership. It kind of protects the leaders by forming that yeah. legal corporation.
1: So then you have a board who's gonna make the decisions and and That's right. Be responsible, accountable, figure things out, answer to, fill out forms.
0: <laughs> so then that's, that's right. Fine. They
1: hope they hope a parent is a CPA. <laughs> so, wow. That's you know, I, our cops have always been so small, I haven't ever thought about this end of it, but this is really good because our listeners can pay attention and as those co-ops grow and, and get larger, then it's going to be something they're going to want to consider. And I know it, it, as far as finding facilities, it's going to make a big difference as to whether you're nonprofit profit or for-profit, right?
0: Yeah, and usually the churches obviously are more um, agreeable to and libraries to let non-profit organizations use their facilities, sometimes for free or low cost. I I don't run into a lot of for-profit groups there are a few forming like for example I got I talked to a woman out in California and she was just forming a very tiny co-op five families gathering together and we talked through um the complications they wanted to hire a teacher to come in and they were going to run their co-op a a lot it was almost like a mini school but anyway Pat in the end we kind of talked about you know what it's easier for her to run it as a for-profit business in some ways that's funny, but for-profit business with very little profit, then go through the rigmarole of applying with the IRS and, and applying with the state for non-profit tax-exempt status. So this is just the kind of stuff I like to do to help leaders understand where your particular group is and where it might go. Because like you're right, it's, these groups grow, and it might be better to start with uh, some of these structures when you're real small, build good habits by having a board, Having bylaws before you grow too big and you don't know what to you know what to do next.
1: in your publications address this your does your co-op book address this setting up as a nonprofit
0: it It has one chapter in there about um, setting up getting tax exempt status, yeah, and a chapter on nonprofit incorporation. Um, it turns out I was focusing so much on co-ops and, uh, you know, things like the the people aspect of co-ops that I realized I needed to write other books. <laughs> sure. So I've got, one, I've got one book called The IRS and Your Homeschool Organization, and that's where I go into a lot of details about what, what do you need to do with the IRS and when and, and should you be tax-exempt? And what if you don't want to be tax-exempt? Well, then you have to pay taxes. And then I am working on another book, which hopefully will be released uh, in January 2014, called "Money Management in a Homeschool Organization: A Guide for Treasurers." So I I wanted to do that. Yeah, just to help them better manage the money. And again, whether you're really tiny or whether you're you're you know 90 or 100 families and you're paying bills and insurance, and sometimes these groups have employees and doing payroll, It, it can get you know to be to be quite a, a burden so i wanted to share again my cpa knowledge with with groups so those books are over at my website homeschoolcpa.com
1: that's great i'll put a link in the post too but the, another title that captures my interest is paying workers in the homeschool organization because yeah. oftentimes we ask guest speakers to come in and speak and we're so blessed by it we end up taking up substantial donations and and blessing them financially but i've never thought about reporting it or wondering if we needed a 1099 or anything mm-hmm. until right now we probably never hit that <laughs> mark but is there a mark and is that something i need to be worried about
0: yeah there is a mark a good question so it, that that book, Pain Workers, that's just an electronic book. I think I charge like a whopping three dollars for it. So it's a nice book for people just to download um, and and kind of get that information. But yes, it, if you're paying like like a teacher um, or a speaker, and you and your co-op pays them more than six hundred dollars in the calendar year, you have to give them what's called a 1099 miscellaneous form. You send a copy into the IRS. And then basically, that's the means by which they report that income on their tax return. Now, if,
1: if our co op was not formally set up, would we still do that?
0: <laughs> Ooh, then you need to get formally set up, which means you yeah. need an employer identification number, an EIN. It's like a social security number for groups. You actually need one of those employer identification numbers when you go open a checking account. Because right. I do not want I do not want your leader to go to the bank and open a checking account and her personal name and her personal social security number. Right. Because right. the IRS would say, Oh, that's your personal money and she's saying, No, it's a co op Well then you need to have the co op's name and the co op needs an employer identification number, which you can get for free from the IRS. Very quick, very easy. Over um I'm gonna repeat it again, but at home school cpa.com under the leader tools, I have some articles about that, walk you right through it and say, this is what you do. And in this in this new book, I'm coming out with money management for a homeschool organization. I actually show you the IRS form that you fill out. Oh, I give you an great. example and I talk you through it because I don't want anybody that's to great. panic about filling out an IRS yeah. form incorrectly.
1: And I tell so, you the truth, I don't even know if we gave this one speaker everyone loves so much. He also got gift cards and coupons for free meals and I never counted. I just put it in envelopes and gave it to him and it might have actually been over all that, but that's water on wow. the bridge, so yeah, <laughs> now yeah. that I know. Now you I you know going forward. Need, need to be more responsible, <laughs> yes, and take care of that. Um and and as far as co uh hiring and paying teachers, what's your advice for that?
0: Well, I you know, there's a it's it's sort of a funny gray line, and that's why I had to write a book about it, right? I mean, for the most part, co- homeschool co-ops run on volunteers, and we love them. So thank your volunteers and appreciate them and give them gift cards, like you said. Please do that, you know. But then sometimes you step into the, well, I can't get anybody to teach the art class. Oh, so let's hire an art teacher. That's what my co-op did. One thing I recommend, if possible, and if it's manageable, you you ask parents to pay that teacher Directly rather than running it through your co op. Mm-hmm. Because she's then working for each parent as opposed to working for your co op. Now that works up to a point, but some co ops get to the point where they've got 6, 10, 20 teachers, and it's crazy for the parents to be, you know, right. writing they don't all these want the checks. paperwork. If, yeah. Right. And if it's just a handful, like my co op when I, when I was homeschooling had four teachers, and we wanted the parents to pay those teachers it was a guitar teacher an art teacher a theater teacher directly and they were then independent contractors running their own business the guitar teacher was and stuff so that's what i recommend you're
1: not if you're not paying them more than 600 per family there's no 1099s
0: no that's a little confusing a a 1099 (laughs) is a business to business it's a business to business transaction if if i'm a mom and i hire a piano teacher I don't give her a 1099, do I? Right. If I'm a mom and I take my kid to your co-op and I pay the art teacher, your co-op is just nice and letting that art teacher use the room, I don't give that art teacher a 1099 miscellaneous forms. Those are business-to-business, meaning the co-op is a business or a not-for-profit hiring a worker. But there are times when when the co-op controls so much of what that teacher does, says you will teach this. I will evaluate you, I, and you're treating them like an employee, and the IRS would say, they're an employee. You need to do, you know, employer Social Security and Medicare taxes, workers' comps, stuff like that. I've got that going on with the homeschool group now in um, Illinois. So wow. they have uh, yeah. a, a pretty serious Um, You task ahead of them. They're going to hire a a payroll company and uh, they need to reevaluate almost their whole setup. They've got a very large operation going up, to be honest. They make twice a week. They've got about 20 teachers, all junior and senior high school kids. So these, you know, they're they're bringing in, to to be honest, Pat, they're bringing in probably over uh, $200,000 a year.
1: Wow. Wow. And are they a nonprofit?
0: Uh, that's what they're applying for. Yes, that's why I'm helping yeah. them. They're applying for 501c3 tax-exempt status as an um, educational organization. Not a school, well, but an educational organization.
1: So yeah. homeschooling is changing. We're going to take yes, a break yes. for work from our sponsor, and I've got lots more questions, so we'll be back in a minute. Homeschool leader, do you feel confused or overwhelmed by the job of running your homeschool group? You're not alone. Carol Topp, the homeschool CPA, is here to help. Carol is an accountant, author, and retired homeschool mom who understands you. Her website has helpful information on co-ops, paying workers, and managing the money in a homeschool group. If you need personalized advice, set up a consultation with Carol. She's happy to discuss your particular situation. Visit homeschoolcpa.com today and get the information you need to successfully run your homeschool group. You know, it's nice to know that you... um... Hire yourself out as a consultant as well, because I'm sure there's people who just want to call and pick your brain, and and it's good to have somebody who's yeah. been on this side of the industry that understands the financial end too.
0: Yeah, it's true. You know, as much as I try to just disseminate the information via my blog posts or newsletters and books, there are people that say I really want to understand my specific situation, and it is nice. I do that. Uh, you know, and if someone wants a consultation, they do charge, but I'm very reasonable for a CPA, and I prorate, you know, so if you only want 30 minutes, I'm not going to charge you a full hour, and, and it's great, that's you know, great. I can ask them questions. You know how it is, Pat. It's hard right. to answer a question for somebody without having a little back-and-forth conversation and email. Well, and, and time forth. is money.
1: Some people would rather pay you and have you just give them the bottom line than to weed through yes. publications and try and figure it out, so that's, that's <laughs> totally. a great service. Yeah.
0: And the IRS, is, no one wants to go oh. to the IRS website. And please, please, no, please do not call the IRS. They, the IRS doesn't really understand homeschooling.
1: Um, no, I'm so not.
0: that's kind that's of my job. I kind of try to put myself in between my client, the homeschool leader, and the IRS. And it's funny, a lot of people, I offer different services depending upon what people can afford. And a lot of group leaders will say, Oh, I want that expensive one where you'll talk to the IRS instead of me. (laughs) Oh,
1: oh, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I get that. I get that. Well, that's good. Well, you know, and it's good to know that that's available, too. So thanks for all of that. Now let's talk about fundraising. How does that apply to co-ops? What do they need to be concerned about? I mean, there are times our co-ops have needed money, and there are times we've been involved with fundraisers, but haven't thought about the the legalities of that. So tell us.
0: Yeah, and they're perfectly legal. Um, they Mm -hmm. Let me think where to start. Okay. I wrote an article again. I'm going to refer you back to my website. I wrote an article for the Old Schoolhouse magazine a couple years ago called Easy Fundraisers, and then I incorporated that that article in this new book I'm working on, Money Management and Homeschool Organizations. So there will be a chapter on fundraisers. But basically, yeah, go out and have a fundraiser. You, you know, do it. Um, let have to be all volunteer run, and the IRS won't um, won't have a problem with it. Okay? okay. Your state might have a problem with it though. If uh-huh. you go and sell things to the public, you are then soliciting the public for um, money. You know, right. like and and some states want you to fill out forms. Charitable solicitation forms. They're called their pain in the neck. My homeschool school co-op decided we were going to do, like, candle sales, you know, door-to-door. Uh-huh. I, as the treasurer, had to fill out a report, a detailed financial report that was seven pages long with the state of Ohio. Uh, uh. And I went back to them, and I said, we are never doing one of those fundraisers again. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So... I wrote the article saying, here's some easy things. Usually within your membership, and the states don't have a problem, don't ask you to register. Um, Box Tops for Education is a real nice program, but now they even want your group to be a 501c3 tax-exempt organization with the IRS to participate in Box Tops. The other thing I wanted to warn folks about, when you set up fundraising, here is what is not allowed, not legal. It's not legal to turn around and say to a family, Oh, Jones family, you raised $50. We're going to give you a $50 discount on your tuition. It is improper to do that. They're called individual fundraising accounts. Really? And I know lots of people do it, lots of groups do it, and the IRS says it's not allowed to earmark what money came into the group down to the individual. That is an improper use of your money. Your money, your fundraising money is supposed to benefit the group, not an individual family. So don't get like that. Yeah, go ahead. Can Beth.
1: you can you switch it around and say your tuition is two hundred and fifty dollars if you don't participate in fundraising, but two hundred if you do? Or is that the same thing? Yeah, <laughs> no,
0: there are no. I see groups that do that, and that appears to be perfectly legal. It's like fundraise or pay, and some parents would rather pay because they don't want to take the time to fundraise. Right. And I've also seen groups that say pay or volunteer, you know, time or money. And if you, can't, if you can't volunteer, like to help clean up after co-op, then they, they pay. They have to pay more to hire you know, somebody else to clean for them. So, I've, yeah, it's, uh, I've, that seems to be okay. It's when you trickle down the money that came into the co-op down to individual families that the IRS says. And it has to do with taxes. Basically, that family is getting some some income, some money, without ever paying taxes on it. And that's what the IRS doesn't like. So well, don't do that. Now you can say I'm fundraising for you know the the drama club or the Lego club, but that's still a group of kids. Just don't trickle it right. down to each individual family. That's what's not allowed. And there was a, there were some problems with that. And here in Kentucky, I'm talking to you from Cincinnati today, so just over the border in Kentucky, there were some. They were like uh, public school. Band boosters, you know, booster clubs, and these can be yeah. big things because bands are expensive, you know. Yes. And um, this booster club uh, had to pay taxes and fines and penalties. They had to get lawyers involved. They even got their their senator involved in trying to <laughs> get out of paying penalties. Oh, my penalties. goodness. They, they were threatened with losing their tax-exempt status. Um, wow. Well, yeah, they got to be careful. You do. The parents were working at like the concession stand for the for the football games or something like that. Mm-hmm. And then taking that money and and reducing the, the cost of their band participation uniforms and mm-hmm. stuff and that's what the IRS said. Yeah, you can't do that. You can't mm-hmm. do that. Go have wow, a fundraiser. Just leave it in the group in the pot. No don't yeah. don't distribute it down to the um yeah. a lot family. of it is
1: is being understanding the issues and then being creative too. Because I know years ago from Tallahassee FSU football games, they had a no scalping law rule. I don't know who made it, but you could only oh, wow. charge one more one dollar more than the face value of a ticket, which is oh. crazy because <laughs> people were willing to pay a lot more. So people would stand out the the stadium and sell you a two hundred dollar pair of socks, and you got a free ticket with it. So. <laughs> oh,
0: that's so fun! You're right. Yeah. Well, I tell you, Pam, that people get creative. I get I get a lot of questions like, here's a favorite one I get. Okay, I'm a homeschool dad. If I hire my wife and pay her to homeschool my kids, <laughs> set it up as a business, is that can I then tax, you know, take as a tax deduction all their curriculum? Good costs. question.
1: And can he? No. <laughs> Oh no. first of all he doesn't have a
0: viable trade or business. Who okay, so he pays his wife, but how, how is he how is he bringing in money? Are his kids paying him? No. no. The basic the basic um premise of taxes is you have to have a trade or a business, and, and for a homeschool family to kind of keep it all internal and then just try to get a tax deduction for homeschooling, no.
1: No, not going to work. No. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's another question I thought of during all of this.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, say in Tallahassee, which is where I'm from, we our homeschool support group is a nonprofit, and it's organized, and it's, it's very helpful to people trying to do things within the group, can co-ops sign up under an existing nonprofit and be part of it that way without having to do all the paperwork or not?
0: Yeah, that's that's a very good question. And really the best way for a co-op to run, if possible, would be as the ministry of a church. Because then you get the benefit of the churches are automatically five hundred one c three tax exempt automatically without filing any paperwork and churches don't file any annual reporting with the IRS. This is oh. where the separation of church and state works to our benefit, <laughs> you know, as church members. Um, so that's the best if a if a if a homeschool group can be under the umbrella of a church.
1: Well, how but much a lot more of paperwork don't. does that add to a church?
0: Does it Nothing. add anything? No, oh. no. Probably okay. they they might add the uh, the group, the homeschool group, to their insurance. insurance Maybe the sure. homeschool group pays a little more to, for the insurance, but that's the best. So let me get back to your question. So it is possible, like say say that big group you have, you mentioned the big group, they already have 501C3 taxes and status from the IRS, and a little small group comes along. And says, Can we be underneath your umbrella for a year or two till we get off the ground on our own? That's perfectly permissible in the IRS. And it's called fiscal sponsorship, if you want to know. It's done a lot in, in um, the, the arts and things like that. We're, we're, um, so, so you're a big nonprofit to kind of nurture and start up a small one, kind of like churches have church plants, a little bit like that. And you can operate something like that. I'd recommend you call me, and you probably have to talk to an attorney to write up some contracts and get it done properly. But, yeah.
1: yeah.
0: yeah nice well, that's go.
1: good. That's mm-hmm. good to know. You know, this has been so interesting because of all the many years I've done co-ops, they've never gotten large enough to do anything formally, but I know there are so many out there that are that they all these questions, getting... it's nice that there's a, a place to find the information and get <laughs> the answers and do it all right and... Probably yours is much, much easier to understand than trying to get near what the IRS <laughs> says or offers them. Yeah, it is. And it is. there's, it there's, there's such confusion. <laughs> yeah, I know there's a state there in is. Florida right now that's going to court because – they were homeschooling under an umbrella school, and they're being charged with truancy, and I just don't oh, get that. Dear. So I yeah, don't know where that's going to end. It's a little yeah. scary, but we want to be sure we, we are legal. We want to be ethical. We want to be moral. We want to do things right, but we also want to grow and, and um, be able to help other yeah. homeschoolers as our co-ops grow, and that's really neat. Yeah. We are about out of time, so feel free to share yeah. any last words, and then when I post your interview, I'll also put links to your site so people can easily find all these great materials you've produced for them.
0: Yeah. Well, of course, what I'm going to recommend is folks go over to homeschoolcpa.com. Spend a little time tooling around, reading the blog posts, but obviously, I have a a, a newsletter, and that would be a really good thing. Here's what I do in my newsletter. Uh, um, I, I summarize my blog posts. I, I post a blog post about once a week, and every blog post is a question I have gotten from a homeschool leader, oh. and my answer, of course. And so then about Oh, every three or four blog posts out goes the um newsletter, if you will, to my email list. So about once a month you'll get a nice email from me if you sign up and it'll be the last few questions that homeschool leaders have asked. So That's great. that way you yeah, you kinda of learn in little bits and chunks like that. And So if we're not overwhelmed. <laughs> those yeah. of <those> who aren't
1: <laughs> financially in- interested at all. <laughs>
0: but right. you but no, we have to know. You might see something that another homeschool leader asked, like you were asking about fundraisers that, you know, the homeschool sure. leader reading my newsletter said, oh, I never thought about that, you know. Well, and also, if you-, you sign up for the newsletter, I, I give a report called Best Financial Practices for Homeschool Groups because, unfortunately, oh. like that, I have gotten a few times when a homeschool leader called me or emailed me and said, I think my treasurer is embezzling money. Oh, I don't get them often, but these, these are the practices, yes, it's sad. Um, I've had about three or four, or I don't think my treasurer is doing things right, or my treasurer is not bringing financial reports to the board meetings, these kind of things. So I wrote up kind of a checklist of these are the things that should be done to make sure everyone's held accountable and doing things right. Wow, that's, that's a over great resource. Yeah. That's .com. great. Yeah. Well,
1: and I want yeah. you to talk about the Ultimate Radio Show because that's what we're on <laughs> now. And you have a show, too, so tell us about that.
0: Well, oh, thanks. Yeah, I call my show Dollars and Cents, cents like common sense, not like the pennies. <laughs> and I talk about, uh, you know, things that interest me as, as an accountant, as a homeschooling accountant. So I just finished uh, a three-part series on microbusiness for teens, which is the name mm-hmm. of the book series I wrote. Um, I'm going to be coming up and doing two some um, podcasts that will be aired in December 2013 for homeschool leaders. Then in 2014, I'm going to do probably a four-part series called How to Teach Your Kids About Managing Money When You're Not Doing So Great Yourself. Oh so boy, <laughs> that's that's a talk I do at homeschool uh, conventions, and I'm glad to be able to put it in a podcast. It's all talked about preschoolers, elementary kids, um, older kids, high schoolers, t- teaching them about managing money. And so that's yeah, a lot of our in, lessons so. as,
1: as parents. A lot of our lessons have been don't do what we did, <laughs> <laughs> do what we should have done, do what we yeah, did and now. we can do that. <laughs> we can do that yes. when we
0: homeschool our kids. Yeah, oh, that's and then the I one, I. I try to share all kinds of anything having to do with money basically I, is what I talk about on my dollars and cents show over at well, the radio network Yep.
1: for people who don't know if you miss those shows when they're being aired they're archived and available on that's iTunes right. so
0: that's yeah, nice. you can
1: download them, listen in the car, wherever you are. That's that's really exciting. I love that Felice put this together and that there are so many shows available and more and more coming, too. So this is exciting yeah. that we can reach so many people about these issues that pertain to homeschoolers. When I started, yeah. there was very, very, very little. There were a few that's conventions, right. and, oh, we loved those. And when they started adding the <laughs> workshops, oh, that really helped. And now we have the Internet, so... It's yeah. great. You know, my great. first the first book I ever wrote was Information Please, and it was on teaching children how to how to use resources to do their research because it was before the internet and Google. So yeah,
0: the, the birth yep. of the internet I, and
1: Google. Yeah, I <laughs> don't
0: think I think I used that pad a long time ago with my kids. They're both in college now, but I remember though. I didn't know that was you.
1: How yeah. about that? Books even kept selling for a while after the Internet, and I kept thinking, who's buying these? Because now all you have to do is Google. But they were fun, and they they did teach children how to find information. But that that was my foot in the door of homeschooling publishing.
0: (laughs) And if it were just
1: that, I wouldn't still be in there because it's obsolete. (laughs) But it it was fun. (laughs) Well, I appreciate you being on the show, and we're going to post all the information so people can link to you and your program and your books. And you have a great week.
0: Okay, thanks, Pat. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. If you like what you heard, be sure to tell your friends. And until next time, this has been Homeschooling, Co-op Style.